I'm Emma G. Rose. I'm Shell Shearer. We're indie authors. And this is Indie Book Talk. Hello and welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today we have E.D. Hackett, the author of The Havoc in My Head. And E.D. is here to talk to us because I didn't know this until she reached out, but Apparently, October is Pituitary Tumor Awareness Month, and this book has something to do with that. So we'll talk about that and some other things along the way. Uh, Welcome to the show, Edie. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. So I did read this book. It's here. Hello. Uh, (laughs) uh, If you're watching, you can see the book. If you're listening, I just made that sound because I held up the book cover, and you're missing out by not watching the video version. Anyway. uh, (laughs) Tell us a little bit about the book. My understanding is that you have some personal experience that led to this, the writing of this book. Is that correct? Correct. So I had been struggling with my vision for a while and my doctor couldn't find anything that was concerning. I went to my regular doctor for other issues like rapid weight gain, heart palpitations, and they, you know, did their tests and said everything was fine. And then one day I woke up and I couldn't see. And I went to the emergency room and they ran a bunch of tests and they found a tumor uh, growing out of my pituitary gland. So this novel that I wrote, it's a fictionalized account of my experience from the early symptoms when I would tell people what was going on and I just felt like I was going crazy. Like no one was taking me seriously. No one could give me answers or even direct me to where I could go to get answers. And as I was going through the diagnosis, the treatment and the recovery, I wrote that book while it was happening I had kept a journal also every step of the way. And that whole experience not only affected me, but my entire family, my children, my husband. And I just felt like I would tell people that I had a pituitary tumor. And so many would say, oh, I know someone who had that. Or, oh, I know someone who had that surgery. Or, oh, yeah, so-and-so's brother had that, and he's fine. It's fine. And I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of understanding about it. You know, not just the physical piece, but the emotional piece, the emotional journey behind Mm -hmm. it. And that was why I wrote that book. Because of my treatment plan, I was out of work for a year. I couldn't drive. I couldn't go to work. And... Up until my first surgery, I couldn't read. And my Ugh. my eight-year-old daughter would just wanted me to read to her. And I couldn't. I couldn't see the words. They disappeared on the page. And, you know, I'd have to have – I'd sit under a window with natural light and a flashlight because everything was blurring out. So I, I felt like it was a really important novel to write. I did fictionalize the – people in the story, but the emotion behind the journey is, it's true for so many of us. 
And so I just wanted it to be available for survivors, but also their family and loved ones that are trying to support them through it. Well, what I find really interesting is that you you wrote it while you were going through it. Like I know a lot of people who wrote books about life experiences, but usually it's after they've sort of felt the feelings and gone through it in some way. So I'm curious, how did you come? I mean, you you knew in the moment, like, ha, this is something I have to write a book about while it's happening. How did you come to that realization? And was that harder or easier? So I had been journaling it from day one, and I had two surgeries. So there was about a six-month period where I was just processing what was going on. And after my second surgery, my vision pretty much returned to baseline. And I was out of work, and my kids at that time were in school. And I had all this time by myself. And I felt like I needed to do it for me to process what had happened because our life had changed so drastically because of that experience. I also have this fear that I'm going to die and my kids aren't going to know who I truly am. And so every time there's something like substantial in our lives, I always start a journal addressed to them just in case. And so that was kind of part of the reason too. Like I wanted them, even though they're younger, to realize what our family went through. So that was kind of what led to the writing of the novel. And have you had a lot of um, feedback from people suffering from similar issues? Yeah, I'm part of a Facebook group and there's thousands of people in it from all over the world. And a lot of them have read it. And I've gotten a lot of feedback like, thank you. This is such a good book for anyone who has a brain tumor. Or I felt like I was reading about myself. And those that's who I'm writing for, too. Those people that feel like there's no one that understands what they're going through. And the tumor is very different for everyone. It's dependent on the size if the vision's affected, if the hormones are affected. But that emotional piece is just, it's the central core for all of us. So even though my details about my tumor might be different than the next person, they can still understand what was being portrayed through that novel. I'm sure they can still understand the the fear and everything that's going through your mind when you don't even know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a really hard two years for my family. And like, thankfully for us, we were able to get it straightened out. But for so many people, because it's, it's not overly common, you know, if you're in a certain part of the country where there isn't a specialty center, you get misdiagnosed over and over again. Like, My doctor first told me that he thought I had multiple sclerosis because of the way my optic nerve looked, and that wasn't the case, but I didn't have a neurology appointment for a month, and so for an entire month, I researched multiple sclerosis, and every symptom, I was like, yes, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, Mm -hmm. and you know, there's just so many opportunities for misdiagnosis 
if you're not seeing the right people. Mm-hmm. So I, I did read the book and in my reading, there was a line where the main character says 2019 had been so hard and she hoped the next year would be better for her family. And I immediately went, <gasps> right? Because I didn't realize until that point exactly when, you know, it was obviously modern, but I wasn't sure exactly when. Yeah. And when she said that, I was like, oh no. And then it was just hanging over me for the rest of the book that like, this is going to happen. And, and am I going to see it was the question. Is the story going to end before that? So was your experience happening into yeah. the pandemic? Like, was that real for you as well? Yeah. So I went to the hospital on Halloween. My first surgery was the weekend of Thanksgiving. The appendicitis on Thanksgiving was true with my daughter. (laughs) And we went to the hospital and they wheeled in an extra bed for me because I had just gotten out of the hospital. So we're both in there and it's sharing an emergency room because she had to go. But then yes, my second surgery was in January and then And I remember, I remember being in the hospital and seeing the news and it was just being announced in Asia. And yeah, I mean, everything with the radiation, having to go in every day with the masks, you know, being alone, all of that happened. So I think for my kids too, that made it really difficult for them because I was so sick. I was sleeping all the time. I for two weeks, I had what looked like tampons in both of my nostrils and they were soaked in blood and and the ENT had to remove them. And like, my daughter was afraid of me. And Mm. it just, it was just a really hard experience for all of us. But the way that the character ended with, you know, reflecting on the positive in her life, it was probably the best thing that could have happened for my family when all was said and done. And just, we all changed our perspective on life in general and, you know, what is, what is really important. Mm -hmm. And even like my husband and I, all that stuff in there about the main character, like that was real. And it was a really hard time because of the hormonal stuff that was going on with me and the emotional stuff that I wasn't aware about. So it really was a blessing, which, you know, is crazy because I still have the tumor in my head. They couldn't get it all. And I'm oh. still being monitored for growth. So it is a little stressful still, but that transformation that that main character had was 100% true to our situation. So you've written other books as well. Do you use these issues in those books or is that completely separate? Does it affect them in any way? I do write women's fiction. So they all transform at the end. But I, I do kind of keep my stories very separate from each other. I I haven't really gone into any medical issues for any of my other main characters. You know, this was like my baby. This was like pouring my heart onto the paper. It's something that I think deserves to be alone. Did you at any point think, "Eh, maybe I shouldn't put all the details in? You know, like, (laughs) was there anything that felt 
yeah too personal because this feels very personal so the reason I mean I I had to change all the names all the characters because there were things that had happened that did not go in there and I I just didn't want to hurt people by by writing certain things um I did give a copy to all my doctors and (laughs) my favorite doctor (laughs) he said I read your book and I think I know who I was. And it was not <laughs> flattering. And I was oh, like, no. Yeah, I was like, um, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean for that. Like, you're my favorite doctor, I promise. But in that moment, when he says to me, you're going to go blind and you will die if you don't get this removed. I mean, how do you take that? That's terrifying. So... Yeah. It's not like you to write him like, and he, he, he was handsome as he swooped in to tell me. (laughs) I'm like, I changed your name. I didn't name the hospital. There's no way to connect you to it. But. Well, I think you did a beautiful job of, of really painting the picture of what it's like to deal with a health crisis in, in the sense of how doctors respond, how the medical complex responds. I, I know I have a chronic illness and so I've been through some of this and obviously a very different capacity, but it is, you get those doctors who don't seem to understand that their words are landing in a very different way than it, perhaps they mean them. Or my favorite part was when she's, she says, I'm getting mixed signals. This one doctor says, oh, it's great. Another doctor says, well, we didn't get all of it, but that's fine. And then another doctor's like, you're going to die. Who do I believe? What do I do? And that's so real right. that it was it was satisfying to see it kind of reflected back on the page in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think the doctors, they do this every day. They see this. They do these surgeries multiple times a week. It's no big deal to them. But for someone going through it, it's earth shattering in that moment. And it is easy to forget that when you're, you're you're desensitized to it. So are you still keeping track of things in a journal for going forward? Um, I haven't. I've, I'm in a good place now. I feel like everything is stable and it's been two years since my radiation. So now it's just monitoring the hormones and making sure there isn't any new growth. So I feel good about it. I did make some life changes after everything that happened. I ended up going back to work full time, but it it was just too much. I was seeing a speech therapist because I was having memory issues and executive functioning problems. And that's what I do for a job. So I reached out to to someone to help me practice those strategies, but I ended up leaving and now I'm only working three days a week. And so I feel like that never would have happened prior to the diagnosis because I've always been a work, 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 work type of person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to pride myself in having 50 balls in the air and not dropping them, but have going through that experience with my family and seeing how it affected them, I realized the importance of balance 
and the Mm -hmm. importance of being there for your children for their emotional needs, not just their physical. And yourself. I mean, yourself, yes. You need your own time. Yeah. And, you know, it's still been good for my family. I feel like we talk about it all the time. We talk about Timmy, the tumor, um, which is what we named him, which was (laughs) for the kids, and it made it real, you know. But it's definitely been a really good transition since the initial trauma has ended. Do you have any thoughts or advice for other authors who might want to write a story from their real life? Is there anything you learned along the way that you could share with them? So I know some people choose to write memoirs, which are very factual, but if you're afraid of being that vulnerable, then I would recommend going the fictional route. Like I like to tell people it's a pseudo memoir. It's true to an extent, but again, everything has been concocted. And I think that's a good way to get the emotional journey out there. If you're questioning the subject material and if certain people will read it. And now you're going to be working on other fiction novels? Yeah, I um, have a total of four out, and I've been focusing actually on Kindle Vella, which is keeping me accountable with my writing, and I have a book out at the editor right now. So I'm hoping around maybe January it'll be ready for the world. Awesome. Is this more for the Block Island series, or are these separate? No, this this is this is separate. It's actually a sweet romance. I thought I would kind of try that genre, which is why I tried it on Kindle Bella to get some initial feedback because I don't typically write that genre. But it's it's a sweet romance that I'm writing. The Block Island series. The first book was my very first ever that I wrote, and it was during it was right before my surgeries before mm-hmm. my diagnosis and my husband called writing my hobby so i wrote this book i didn't know what a three act structure was i didn't know <laughs> what various points of view were but i did it and i was proud of it and i did everything myself and i'm sure people that read it are like hmm you know But I need it out there to know where I started from and where I've grown as an author. So it will remain out there, even though I feel like every novel I publish improves in terms of craft, pacing, understanding what makes a novel a novel. But yes, that one was my first book. It just intrigued me because I was just at Block Island. So I was like, oh, "Oh, really? We yeah. went and did the glass orb hunting. Oh, okay. Did you find any? No. No. Yeah, that's really big out there. <laughs> it was like, so for Emma and those that don't know, at one point there was this glass artist in Block Island. Um, I don't remember the whole story, but essentially they make these glass orbs and they started hiding them all over the island mm-hmm. and people could go find them. So it's hundreds a year that they hide all over this island. 
on all these trails and parks. And if you find it, you get a numbered glass orb. That's amazing. And it's all registered and you can go online and there's groups for it. And it's just a cute little thing to go do. And he, they just did it to help support their glass blowing and when, when times were low. Yeah, that's a really so cool. fun idea. Also, also, I would like to point out that I was not the one that led us off on the tangent. Uh, no, it's always me. That's my job. No, no. <laughs> I've got one job. <laughs> so as we come to the end of our time together, if people want to keep track of your rapidly improving novels over time, where can they find you on the internet? So I actually am on Facebook and I'm also on Instagram. I've tried TikTok, but it's just not my thing. But on Instagram, I'm at Edie Hackett writes. And at, on Facebook, it's Edie Hackett, E dot D Hackett, because there actually is an Ed Hackett who's a freelance writer, uh, which I didn't realize. So you should co write um, something. Edie yeah, and Ed. Yeah. <laughs> that won't be confusing at all. Uh, do you have a website? I do. It's edhackettwrites.com. Okay, edhackettwrites.com. So anyone out there, if you want to learn more about what it's like to have a pituitary tumor, or if someone in your life has one and you're curious and or want to help them, I do recommend the book. I read it. I meant to only, I did that thing where I was like, I'm only going to read like the first couple of chapters so I have some context. And then I read the whole thing very quickly uh, because I needed to find out what happened to the main character and and what 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 was going on with her and i knew she had a tumor obviously because we had this podcast set up but i kept being like yeah but yeah but what but is she gonna be okay <laughs> but what's gonna happen to her family so uh yeah here's the book the havoc in my head go check it out thank you so much for being on the show Edie. we yes, really appreciate you. it thank you it was really nice meeting you guys